Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. One of the great distinctions between the modern and the ancient world is, in our world, it's the absence of sacrifice, ritual sacrifice. That was part of the everyday life, Romans and other ancient civilizations, but almost nowhere uh, to be found today. Of course, Catholics believe, in fact, uh, the, the catechism is very clear on this, that the Eucharist is a sacrifice, and it would do us well to keep that in mind as we're moving forward this year towards the Eucharistic Congress. Uh, again, it's one year from this week that we'll be in Indianapolis for the Eucharistic Congress. Um, with me right now, though, to help us focus in on uh, the Eucharist as sacrifice, we've got uh, E. Tyler Graham, who's been teaching high schoolers for more than 20 years, has a master's in theological studies from Ave Maria University, and uh, he lives in Florida, and his wife and children are there. He teaches at Donahue Academy, a Catholic classical school. You can find his writings at uh, the Homiletic and Pastoral Review or hprweb.com. Tyler, good to have you here. Thanks. Thank you, Al. Thanks for having me on the show. Let's talk, let's talk a little bit about this, the contrast between our age and the ancient world. How Give us a contrast, if you would, between the, the ancient world, the classical world, and today's world as it refers to sacrifice. Yeah, well, one of the things uh, I teach with my freshmen, with my ninth graders, we teach the Odyssey and the Aeneid. And I think particularly in the Aeneid, although already there in the Odyssey, you'll see this culture of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And uh, just very frequently in key moments, you know, the bulls, the goats, the lambs are being uh, slaughtered at the, at the altars. And uh, it's a significant part of the way people live their lives uh, in the ancient world. And there are very few exceptions to that, although you'll see... Ex- differences in what people sacrifice throughout the ancient world, if you mm. go to, say, Mesopotamia or Africa or Asia. Mm-hmm. But it seems to be the world over. It's a, a prominent and distinctive feature of archaic man. Yeah. yeah. And it is prominently not a distinction of the modern world. Right. right? When we talk about secularization, certainly one way of defining that is is the absence of sacrifice. I mean, it's it's way deeper than that, obviously. Like, yeah. the, the, the absence of any reference to God altogether is clearly another sign of a secular world. But, but sacrifice is, is a big one. Um, how, did, how did sacrifice move from the center of public life uh, to the far margins now? What were the forces that led to that? Yeah, I think I think there are positive ones and there are negative ones, mm-hmm. right? The the most positive is Christianity itself yeah. as it as it spreads, it depaganizes the world. Yeah, uh, that's just always the case. So I mean, you hit the Roman Empire, and in a few centuries, you know, the sacrifices to Jupiter are gone, and you know, you hit what is today Mexico and the human sacrifices at Teotihuacan are, are gone. Right. You know? And so this, this is a very positive, good thing, you know, especially when it's human sacrifice that's being obliterated by, by the cross. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a, a very positive thing. Uh, I think the negative forces 
would be something maybe that you know around the Reformation, you're going to start to see a kind of disintegration uh, between the lived experience of the church and ritual and and the faithful, right? So something like a a private interpretation of scripture, uh, a worship that's strictly around the Bible, mm-hmm. uh, and, and a kind of priesthood of all believers yeah. over, over time, you know, not immediately. It's not like, you know, the original Lutherans, for example, had done away with, with something that looked like the mass, but over time it, it does disintegrate. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, certainly with the rise of deism and other aspects of, uh, from the 18th century on, you're going to see a kind of obliteration of Christian sacrifice in the Mass as a kind of distinctive feature of of the West. Yeah. Um, and I think that would be a kind of a negative element to it. You know, there, there were complaints, I know, after the Second Vatican Council that Catholic teachers, at least here in America, were de-emphasizing the sacrificial aspect of the Mass, and um, uh, I know that there's been response to that. Uh, John Paul II addressed it. Uh, certainly the Catechism of the Catholic Church addresses it, too, to restore, uh, the again, the centrality of sacrifice uh, to the Eucharist. Um, what are some of those uh, interventions, you might say, uh, in the Catholic world that have helped us uh, push back and try to restore the centrality of sacrifice. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would take up that word emphasis, and I, I think the beauty of Catholicism is its principle of of both and. So, yeah. yes, you will have places where the emphasis on the feast and the gathering is there, and, mm-hmm. and a de-emphasis on sacrifice, which won't necessarily be theologically inaccurate. Right. Right. If as long as there is an embrace of the both and. Sure. Um, but yes, it may also be pastorally a bad idea uh, to de-emphasize sacrifice in, in certain cases, um, especially, I would say, if you're, if you're losing a sense of the reverence of the Mass, uh, the word sacrifice comes from to make holy, yeah. and you're losing a sense of the holiness of the Mass, it's not that uh, a feast and a gathering in charity and communion cannot reflect the holiness of God, who is love. Uh, however, there is a certain element of holiness as kind of separation, as uh, union with God, uh, that the word sacrifice perhaps can, can bring out more than collective gathering and feast can. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that would be kind of my my first way of answering. Go ahead. Did you, more questions in that area? Or? Yeah. Well, I I I think again uh, you address modern attitudes towards sacrifice. So we're living in a culture that has lost uh, again the ancient emphasis on sacrifice, but in our own generation we have a, a tremendous emphasis on comfort. Um, and yeah. so <laughs> the idea of sacrifice is like why. <laughs> why? Why? Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll sacrifice for my kids a bit, but yeah. dude, I don't understand. You know, sacrifice is something I do when I have to. 
It's not. Yeah. It's not something. Oh, you're spot on. Okay, so there you go. So I, I think that um, one of the things I try to bring out in the article is, you know, there can be there can be an echo in the word sacrifice of you know Aztecs killing on the altar, and there can be a kind of reticence to go in there as if it's intrinsically a kind of violent thing. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I say as a possible response to that is, look, Christ. He sacrifices in self-sacrifice in a way that is not embracing violence. Like, he allows our sins to kill him. Yeah. So when we do Christian sacrifice, we're doing the good in a fallen world, and we have to accept the fact that it will hurt and that it will be painful at times. And so, yes, resurrecting the word Christian sacrifice is extremely important for countering a culture of comfort. You're you're 100% right. And my my wife loves to quote that line from Pope Benedict the 16th. Like you were not made for comfort, you were made for greatness. <laughs> yeah. And you know that like what That's does good. that mean? That means that you have to enter into a lifestyle that is ordered to the good even when that brings discomfort. And that and that word is sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Um when we talk about the mass as an unbloody sacrifice, mm. um, how, how does that? I guess. I mean, I, obviously, we 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 do have some clear idea what that means because uh, we know that uh, Christ, the sacrifice on Calvary was uh, once for all, and that the mass itself is a representation of that uh, sacrifice, but in an unbloody way. Uh, how do we keep alive the reality of sacrifice yeah. when, in fact, we are we don't we're not shedding blood, right? I mean, yes. that blood was shed, so it seems yeah. distant. So, yeah, go ahead. That's a big part of what I'm trying to do with the article, and I think that's an excellent question. I say, look, what what do you make of this? It's an unbloody sacrifice of the blood of Christ, right? Right. So, you know, <laughs> is is that a contradiction? No, it's not a contradiction. It's a paradox we need to kind of wrestle with over time in theology, which is faith seeking understanding. It's trying to trying to wrestle with that. And I think, you know, first of all, it's important to realize Christianity not only does it de-paganize the world, it also, in doing so, rewrites or sort of definitively answers what perfect sacrifice is supposed to look like. And again, one way of looking at that is it moves from sacrifice of the other to sacrifice of the self. But, but even more, it's, you know, it's important to realize the crucifixion is not a suicide. It's not like Jesus is saying, I'm going to kill myself now as the victim. Again, it's, it's our sins that kill him. So he really is, ending a certain element of sacrifice and bringing about an, a kind of new way of understanding it. And so when the Mass allows us to kind of think through those terms, the unbloody sacrifice, it, it's allowing us to say, all right, we are called to live lives that are not ordered towards shedding blood. But we must accept the fact that because we live in a fallen world, our blood might be shed by others, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so 
you know, I, I think that every time we go to the mass, you know, we have this choice. Do I want to sacrifice Christ like Caiaphas did? Or do I want to enter in to his self-gift of nonviolent love and enter into a new form of sacrifice? Very good. Tyler, hold it there. We're going to take a break. We'll come back and continue the conversation. Looking over the centrality of sacrifice to the Eucharist, my guest, Tyler Graham, uh, teaches in Florida at the Donahue Academy, a Catholic classical school. I'm Al Cresta. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me is Tyler Graham, who teaches uh, at Donahue Academy, a Catholic classical school in uh, Florida, and uh, his writings can be found at hprweb.com. We're looking at a piece he did for Homiletic and Pastoral Review titled uh, Sacrificing Sacrifice, which uh, is May of this year, and uh, talking a little bit about, again, trying to focus in on the centrality of sacrifice uh, in the Eucharist. And there's this passage from the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 3. Consider him, that is Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against him, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And then, actually, there's quite an extended passage here um, where uh, the author of Hebrews goes on to uh, talk about the discipline that we can expect from a loving father. But I want to focus in on this passage. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. So, so Tyler, when we think of Christ's sacrifice, we can never lose. I mean, we, we think of him offering himself up but we should never lose this sense that his death, his killing, didn't come from him. It came yeah. from outside. Yeah. I think one of the things I bring out in the article is what, it, what an unusual priest this is. He prays that the cup will pass. Yeah, yeah. I mean, think, think about Gethsemane. What, what kind of a sacrifice is this? This is your high priest yeah. praying that his couple would pass. And, and, and again, not taking the knife to the victim, which is himself. Like, yeah. he doesn't do that. And so when, when we hear that, it, it really is important to realize that the Church is saying, yeah, the shedding of blood is coming from something else. And, but... Because he freely chooses it, we can also say that he sheds his blood, but we say that, you know, and that's the self-sacrifice, but we say that understanding that this is the consequence of living in a fallen world. This is, he's the redeemer of man, right? He, why do we need to be redeemed? Because we're sinners. And that redemption means at some level he has to enter in to the consequences of our sinfulness. Yes. which is that we sacrifice others. Like that's, that's the face of our original sin. And he enters into it and says, I will let that fall on me 
and cancel it out. Yeah. Yes. And then we have a choice now. Are we going to keep doing that, keep sacrificing others, or are we going to enter into Jesus and, and experience this entire new way of living a life, of, of being made holy, of sacrificing, which is allowing other sins to fall on us, but not participating in them? Share with us uh, your insights onto this, the, the irony that uh, Caiaphas is the high priest who wills yeah. the sacrifice of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, like, uh, every, every Catholic priest needs to be thinking through that. And then we as the, we have a share in priesthood through baptism, right? Yeah. Um, so we have to think through it, too. Um, although, you know, there, there's obviously a, a distinction there when we hear in the Mass, my sacrifice and yours, right? There's a different level there between the priest and, and we, the, the laity. Mm-hmm. But it's the same fundamental element there of the gospel showing us that all the priests from antiquity, in a sense, are, are really still ordered towards this sacrifice of the other. Right. You know, and, and Caiaphas is kind of the one who gives expression to the sort of darkest face of the whole thing. It's better that one man die than that the nation should perish. Let me as high priest tell you who we will be sacrificing. Yeah. It is this one who calls himself Christ. And, and that sort of brings together all the forces of of the world given over to sin. And and Jesus, who letter the Hebrews that you quoted, Jesus who who is now our high priest, is inaugurating now in an, an entirely new way of of being priests. Right? Totally the opposite of Kai. What do you make uh, of Hosea six six? Jesus says if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. Yeah, I really um, I really enjoyed a passage from Father Cantalamesa. I wonder if I can bring it up here from the article. He, he comments on that. He's the papal preacher. Right. And um, so I, at one point he ends up saying, that he he ends up saying it's really about uh, sacrifice of the other is the unmerciful one, but mercy is when we sacrifice ourselves. And he he has this passage I have in the essay. I don't have it right now, but um, I, in fact, I've got I've got it here. I've got it here. Oh, okay, because I've got yeah, the, go I've got the article with me, so th- okay. I'll just quote it. Um, yeah, this is uh, from the papal preacher, Cardinal Confalomesa. Sacrifice and mercy are both good things, but they can become bad if misapplied. They are good things if, as Christ did, we choose sacrifice for ourselves and mercy for others. They can become bad things if, on the contrary, we choose mercy for ourselves and sacrifice for others. That is, if we are indulgent with others and if we are indulgent with ourselves and rigorous with others ready to excuse ourselves, and quick to judge others, end quote. Ah, it's beautiful. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's beautiful. And, and so there you have it, right? When, when you are merciful towards others, chances are 
you're going to have to bear the brunt of something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, we can we we can certainly have moments where we we choose mercy for someone else and nothing bad happens to us. Like I radically just choose to forgive someone and so on and so forth. But usually we're having mercy because we've been hurt in some way or still being hurt. And we have to decide to allow that to fall on ourselves. And, and you know, we're not going to lash back. We're, we're going to choose to end it here in, in my heart. You think of Martin Luther King Jr., for mm-hmm. example. I, I will choose to allow the violence that comes yeah. from segregation and racism to fall on me. And I will... I will not respond. I mean, that's a perfect example. I mean, he was he was totally thinking through Christianity when yep. he, when he did that, yep. and and that is mercy for others, right? Mercy because you know the segregation, injustice. They didn't deserve <laughs> the good there, um, but but out of mercy, we choose. Okay, I'm not going to fight back. Right. And so I have to sacrifice myself. Like it falls on me. On the contrary, you know, if you're going to choose to be unmerciful towards others, right, or just be merciful to yourself, like you were saying earlier, like live the life of comfort, you know, chances are you're going to start sacrificing them. And that, that, um, I think. Somebody else will be sacrificed, yeah. Somebody will be sacrificed for my comfort. Yeah, something will. yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I brought that up, you know, that's. You know, the darkest face, uh, that's kind of the, the culture of death, right? I mean, we have... It is. To some extent, the unborn and the elderly are sacrificed at the altar of, of comfort or, yeah. or mercy for ourselves. And um, and so, yeah, there's there's kind of a, a reminder there of how bad it can get. You've got a wonderful um, sentence here that I'll just read because uh, I like it. I, I, I like... I like the way it it rings. Whenever sacrifice, excuse me, wherever sacrifice actively draws the blood of another, we sense that something unmerciful is at work, something opposed to the kingdom of God inaugurated by Jesus Christ, the one who gives his life that none others would need be taken. I think that's great, great passage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, and I think, and that goes back to our discussion of the unbloody sacrifice, right? It's like from the very beginning, the Mass is trying to teach us, you know, let's let's not draw the blood of another anymore. Let's not do that anymore. And there's something there that Christianity has yeah, not only depaganized the world, but but it's informed us into thinking about how we treat others and how we gather together either against them, you know, in, in scapegoating, and, and drawing blood, or how we choose to resist that, even if it means that, that that violence will kind of fall back on us. Yeah. Do you think that uh, there's a renewal of interest in the Mass as sacrifice these days? I I don't know, Al. I I live in Ave Maria, Florida, so I'm kind of a weird guy. <laughs> yeah, you're, yeah, you're kind of insulated I mean, there, Yeah. <laughs> Everything is great with Catholicism here. <laughs> um, so, I think so. I, I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know. I think these things they just they pop up here and there, and I think wherever you find people who want to implement what the church is teaching, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they start from the catechism and they start to read the catechism. And they say, ah. 
it's a sacrifice. Ah, it's a feast. Ah, it's this, it's that. <laughs> let's, let's put that into being, you know, yeah. wherever that's happening, I, I think there is a renewal. And, um, but, but that's the mystery of the Holy Spirit, just deciding where and when he's going to renew his church here and there. So I, I, I can't really speak to that. Well, let me, let me ask you a question. We've got about two and a half minutes here. Uh, uh, this is, goes to uh, debate uh, among um, uh, Catholic theologians, and that is uh, Rene Girard's uh, approach yeah. to the mm-hmm. problem of Christian sacrifice. Can you uh-huh. summarize that for us? Yeah, I'm a Girardian. He was my professor at Stanford. Oh, really? And I, I didn't know that, that. I put that in the yeah. I put that in the subtext of of the article uh, in some of the footnotes. Um, and I think that you know that's a, a sort of a last a last dialogue would be you know with with the Girardians, um, and it was something that was really important in in his life because when he first discovered his anthropological theory. He really wanted to to highlight the non-sacrificial dimension of Christianity. Mm-hmm. He really wanted to highlight that dimension of its ending of scapegoating. And so, in his in his work, things hidden, 1978, things hidden since foundational world. He, he really sort of says Christianity inaugurates a non-sacrificial religion. And over time, especially in his dialogue with um, Father Raymond Schwager over at Innsbruck, Austria, mm-hmm. he came to bring his view more in line with the teaching of the church. Totally, okay. totally in line. Yeah. Um, and when I met him at Stanford in, in the 90s, he was completely orthodox. Yeah. Um, and so that was sort of how I became a Girardian, yeah. in, in sort of sort of orthodox way of how do we take this great discovery that he's made about um, archaic religion and bring it into the fullness of theology. So I, I do think that the word sacrifice is one that's important for, for Girardians, and I was trying to work through that with, with this essay, um, that at, at the end of the day, um, we can hold on to the word, but we also need to sort of accept what Girard has seen, which is that we can't be scapegoating people. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks so much. Uh, wonderful uh, talking with you, Tyler. I hope we have a chance to talk again in the future. Oh, it was my pleasure, Al. Thank you so much for inviting me. All right. Tyler Graham uh, teaches high schoolers uh, there at uh, Ave Maria. 